good morning. Man, it's so great to see y'all here today. It's exciting. Chad's always got the, the best good morning. That guy's ready. He's good to go. Man, I'm so glad to be here with y'all today. It's such an awesome day to be here and uh, seeing progress out there is such a such an encouraging thing. Um, I, I think maybe Corey mentioned that we're supposed to see some uh, concrete and steel go up really soon. Uh, so that'll be real exciting. But uh, man, I just want to say thank you so much uh, to Corey and all he's doing uh, at leading this campus. And can we just thank the Lord for Corey real quick? Just um, absolutely love that guy, and uh, I don't know anybody that builds relationships uh, better than the way he does it. It's really great, and uh, even him talking to Ryan and I out in the, the lobby, uh, he's like, yeah, I was thinking maybe some guys could go work out in uh, somebody's garage gym, you know, uh, and I was like, I was thinking ice cream station. <laughs> That, that sounds better though, you know, so uh, he's in the right place for sure because there's a lot more garage gym people in the room probably than ice cream station, but, um, but I'm glad to be here with you today and uh, turn to Acts chapter 17. Uh, it's been, been an exciting morning as we walk through uh, this passage together, just a um, really fantastic passage of, of Paul addressing the Areopagus. Um, but let me just kind of start with this. I don't know if you've ever been to uh, the Greenville Artisphere, if you've ever been to that downtown, but we decided to go this year. We'd never been before. And it's like, it was the entire uh, street, the entire main street, like of booths of art. And uh, it was, it was super crazy. Uh, there were, there was like some pencil drawings that were $20,000. So I knew very quick, we were not leaving with anything. Uh, we were just there to look and not touch. I'm like, kids do not touch any of this. Uh, there was some Little pieces of art, like about this big, uh, like a little dinner plate maybe that were about 150 bucks. And so, I've started a side business. I'm doing uh, some some art. If you want to buy some at a discount, it's only going to be 125 for the same same size. And I promise it's really good. Uh, so yeah, get with me if you're interested in that. Uh, because man, that that was uh, super crazy. But it was it was interesting, and uh, we had a great time down there. But and if you've ever been in places like this. There's always this guy, this guy started walking, maybe not the same guy, but a guy like him, guy walking up and down the street with a sign uh, and he's screaming, repent, because you're all going to hell. Y'all seen this guy before? You know what I'm talking about? You've been somewhere, maybe a ball game and there's somebody with a, with a bullhorn and a big sign, but this guy's walking up and down, uh, repent, you're going to hell. And he had his little buddies with him that were passing out tracks, like, is that you? Do you want? I, I've never seen anybody be like, Wow yeah, give me one of those. Like, I've, I haven't seen that. Maybe there was a day um, that that worked, but it created a good opportunity for me with my kids. Uh, so Mel and, and her parents were looking at art that we were never going to buy, and me and the kids were hanging out, and, uh, and I said, what do, you, what do you guys think about that guy? And they were like, well, it's, it's a little weird. And I was like, I think it is weird, but what do you think about what he's saying? And they're like, I mean, what he's saying is right. And I was like, so what's weird about it? And they said, it's the way he's doing it. And so I said, you're right. So what what would you do differently? And it created a great conversation for, for us. And I know as parents, we look for those moments, right? We look for those teachable moments where we can say, hey, how can, how can we like build this truth into them? Um, but it, it created a, an opportunity for my kids to think, how would I share the gospel at Artisphere if I was here? What would be a great way, a contextual way to do that, uh, that, that might be uh, a little more effective than walking up and down the street yelling at people? Um, and, and I think that's a really interesting thing for us to do. And as we look at Paul today, I want us to address that as well. Also, when I was in seminary, I took an evangelism class. And I know you're like, there's a class on evangelism? Like, pastors need to take that. Absolutely. Uh, and this one was, was a faith evangelism class. And uh, some of y'all may have been around church long enough to know uh, faith evangelism program. 
But essentially what we did is we, would, we learned about uh, faith evangelism in class, and then he would send us out to neighborhoods to knock on doors. And while we knocked on doors, we had a survey that we would give people. And a lot of the questions were things like, um, you know, what do you think is wrong with the world today? And then we would come up with this question at the end that's like, um, now can we share with you what we think the answer to these problems are? And it's always interesting. I don't know. I've knocked on thousands of doors. I don't know if you guys have had those experiences before, uh, but that used to be the way the church did evangelism. It's like we're going out to knock on doors. That was evangelism for uh, most churches for a long time, probably still is for some. Um, but now if somebody knocks on my door, I'm like, hey, there's a no soliciting sign uh, at the front of the neighborhood, uh, if you don't mind. So I'm that guy. Uh, judge me if you want. Um, but, but yeah, so we, uh, we went knocking on doors and we do this survey. And as soon as we would get to that turn, as soon as we get to that question, um, can we share with you, uh, what we think, um, their face would change. They, they immediately knew that they were caught, not in an actual survey, but in a trick, right? That we were just there. We didn't even care about the survey results. My teacher was like, do whatever you want to with them. We don't care about them. Just get to that last question. And so it felt super insincere for me and my friend Blake, uh, the third guy on our team dropped the class because he was too scared to, to ring doorbells. And I was like, you're going to be a pastor. So I, I mean, I'm kind of nervous for you, bud. Uh, I don't know what he's doing today, but Blake and I started knocking on doors and we were like this, we don't feel like we're representing the gospel well in this community. We feel like by, by even doing this survey and, and twisting it the way that we did it, we were actually having a negative impact. Um, and so we sat down and never told our professor, but we were like, what would be a more effective way to do this? And what we did is we started knocking on doors, and as soon as they came to the door, we just immediately told them, we're from such and such church, and we just want to know if there's anything we can pray for you about. That's it. We weren't trying to hide who we were. We weren't trying to, to you know, throw in like a little secret question and be like, ha ha, we tricked you, now we can share the gospel, and I can... Tell my professor I got to share it 20 times today. It, it was a simple act of service. And the people that used to slam the door and be like, I don't have time for a survey, or listen, there were moms like holding doors like at a crack because the dogs are trying to get out and kids are yelling and there's like food on the stove. And we're like, can we share a survey with you? Like all that changed and we started saying, can we pray for you? People started being responsive. They were like, yeah. And and they would say, I have an aunt that has cancer, or I have a nephew who's struggling with this. And so we would pray right there on the porch with them. And oftentimes afterwards, they would follow up and say, why are y'all doing this? It totally changed the narrative from us trying to like trick them into the gospel to actually them now asking us, why would you do this? And we had the opportunity to share the gospel way more effectively uh, in that means. And what I love about this passage with Paul is Paul's taking this idea, we could, we could observe how he is reaching uh, Athens, how he is reaching out to Athens with the gospel, and actually apply it to our lives. Because truly religion, in many ways, we have created a religion of a sense of duty. We, we've created this mindset where it's like, well, I guess I got to do this. And that's why even so many churches would, would send people out. Evangelism was sending people to neighborhoods because you could do it and then you could clock out. You're like, it's dusk. Let's head home. Done with this evangelism thing. And yet what Christ has actually empowered us to do is to express the love of the gospel to every person, everywhere, at any time. And so if we live with the mindset of God has actually saved me and redeemed me and I want to express that same love and grace to the world around me, it changes who we are. No longer are we motivated by duty, we're motivated by love. 
Now, let me say this, that uh, I love my wife, and there are sometimes she asks me to do things that I don't necessarily want to do, and I do them out of duty. However, I'm still motivated by love because I want her to know that I'm doing those things out of duty because I love her. My motivation is not like, I guess that's what husbands do, right? Like my motivation is I want her to know I love her even if I don't want to do that right now. That's fine. I'll do it, right? Because I, I want her to know that. And sometimes in our faith, there is a sense of duty. I'm not saying that there's not. What I am saying, though, is we need to be motivated by the relationship with the Lord that is motivated by love. So Paul, just to kind of give you a background of where we're at, Paul and Silas were preaching in Thessalonica. Um, the Jews there felt really threatened by him preaching, people coming to know the Lord. And so they started to create some pushback and some pressure on him. They moved to Berea. And in Berea, the gospel was very warmly welcomed and the church started to grow. The Thessalonican Jews were like, hey, those are the same guys that tried to do that here. And so they started trying to stir things up in Berea as well. And so Paul has actually moved to Athens here at this point, really by himself uh, at, at this exact moment. And it's not like he's like, well, let me wait here until things get better. He's like, no, I'm going I'm to do exactly what God's called me to do. I'm going to start sharing the gospel. And, and so let's read in Acts chapter 17. We're going to read uh, starting in verse 22 and read through 34. It says, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are religious. For as I pass along and observe the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you, the God who made this world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine is being like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and the imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And this he has given all assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection from the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Let's, let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for your word, and I thank you that this morning we have an opportunity to be changed and moved by your Holy Spirit. So God, I ask that you move in our hearts even now, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a few things I want you to know this morning about what it means to live sent as we are going through this sermon series and as we look at how Paul approached Athens. Um, and the first thing is everyone is looking for God. Now, a little bit about Athens. Uh, this is not the Holy Land in Georgia. This is in Greece, in case you haven't figured that out yet, all right? Um, we have trophies. They have idols. So that's the difference uh, between the two. It didn't go over well in the second service either, but I'm just saying we have, we have trophies, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with it. Um, but man, it, it's, a, it's a place where actually uh, I read uh, one commentary said there were more idols than there were people that lived 
in Athens. It was a place of culture. It was a place of, of modern thought. In fact, even today, if you took philosophy, uh, whether it was in high school or college or postgrad or whatever, you, you talked about Greek philosophers. It's something that even today, the, the thought that came out of there is still impacting thought today. Much of what they would do even at the Areopagus was to discuss this philosophy and sit down and talk about it. It wasn't as much like, hey, let's sit down and argue and I'm, I'm going to win you over to my point. It was more like, let's learn from one another and bounce ideas back and forth, right? It was a sense of, of learning, a sense of uh, environment where people wanted to grow in their thought and wanted to grow in what they believed about the world. In fact, this place was such a, a, a worshiper of gods and uh, they didn't want to leave anybody out. They had so many idols and then they had one of them that was to the unknown God. So it was like, hey, in case we missed your God, like this guy can catch it all, right? Like in case we missed uh, one out there, uh, we, we haven't forgotten about you. You're the unknown God to us, so we're going to worship you as well. So in a place that is this plural religious uh, place that is very much centered around human thought and, and human ideas, Here's the reality. Paul finds a way to actually say, I think that we have some common ground here. He actually notices that this unknown God and says, hey, actually, I know who that is. I know who the unknown God is. So they're leaning in to hear this. They, they want to hear what he has to say. So what I mean by everyone's looking for God is, in this context, they were curious who the unknown God is. In our context, we might say it this way. I've heard it years ago said that we have a God-shaped hole in our heart. I don't know if you ever heard that before. It's this God-shaped hole that only God can fill, right? It's something that, um, that gives us a sense of need or belonging that as humans, we know that, that there needs to be something more than this life and the way that we're living in, in, in such a way that we try to fill this hole with so many things, but the only thing that will truly fulfill us is the Lord. The only thing that will truly fill this God-sized hole is God himself. And we, we try to put relationships there. We try to put money there or control there or sex there or whatever the case is, po uh, identity politics or, or, or sexual identity. And we're, we're trying to find in some ways a sense of satisfaction in ourself or in our own decisions. And yet God is saying, only I can fulfill those needs that you have in your life. Only I can fill the hole in your heart that you're feeling right now. And so the reality is that everyone is looking for God in some way or another, um, to the point where the leading cause of death today is not cancer or uh, car accidents or anything like that. It, it's fentanyl. The reality is that we're in a world where people are, are so trying to fill their hearts with drugs and, and with relationships and things like that, that it's, it's literally um, killing us. Depression is something that our culture is dealing with on, on an astronomical level. And so we're like, man, we are, we're so uh, you know, far where, than where we used to be 50 years ago. It's not really working out well for everybody, right? It, it, there, there are more people on medications. There are more people struggling with anxiety, depression ever before. And so we're dealing with so many issues that people are just trying to find a way to fulfill this place in their heart that only God can fill. I love how Paul approaches them as the unknown God, as, as the one that he even quotes their poet later saying, let me quote your poet back to you to explain who God is, this cultural center of the world. And he wanted to reach them. Now, I want to kind of ask this question and I, and I want it to linger for a second, but do you hang around people different than you? 
Maybe I would replace the word hangout and I would say, do you love people that are different than you? Because there's this tendency, and I don't think it's exclusive to Christianity. I think it may even be human nature, but um, in our culture, there's a tendency to look at somebody else and look, there's a lot of weird people out there. Like, let's be honest, okay? You're like, this guy's weird. And you're like, well, that guy's way weirder, right? Like, we could, we could find some weird people out there, and you can just go to Walmart and find, like, plenty, right? Um, I shop at Walmart, so I'm sure people are looking at me too. But, I mean, I, like I said, you could find some weird people out there. And, and, and at the end of the day, it's easy for us to see people that believe different than we do or live different than we do or dress different than we do and have a completely different worldview. And for us to find ways to build walls between us and them instead of trying to find ways to build bridges between them and the gospel. That, that what you and I end up doing is we start building walls and we start looking down and going, I can't believe that person would think this way or I can't believe that person would vote this way. And we actually find ways to divide us instead of finding ways to unite us because the reality is every single one of us is looking for God in some way. That there is a, a uniting factor between every human on this planet that we are all trying to figure this thing out. We're all trying to figure out what, what is this desire inside of me that's longing for something more. And I think we, we're just kind of, we're used to like the family uh, Thanksgivings, you know, where like politics comes up and you're like, oh no, <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to be in this room right now. <laughs> like, um, we always have like one person that's just like, I just want to talk about politics. And you're like, okay. Um, and then it stirs everything up. And, and we find these things that are going to separate us. And even, uh, I, I mentioned this in the first service. Um, if you're on Simpsonville Residence, I feel like that's all it's full of. Simpsonville Residence is like an HOA for the entire area of Simpsonville. And, uh, and HOA Facebooks like never go well. Like there's always like, you know, people need to apologize face to face or something. Um, but they started building the new fire department and uh, city hall. And there was like a whole bunch of people that were mad that the trees were cut down right? Like, and some of y'all might be in here because it's kind of quiet in here. Um, I'm sorry. But they were like furious about these trees getting cut down. And, and I was like, look, I wish I was more dogmatic about a few things, but trees don't matter in the scope of eternity. And, and we find things like that, that we get so caught up in and so furious about, we actually find ways to isolate ourselves and divide ourselves from the world around us from hearing the gospel is just like us walking down the road with the sign yelling, repent, you're going to hell. We're turning people off from the gospel because what they hear is our dogmatic just ignorance on something that truly doesn't matter in the scope of eternity. Now, I'm not saying you can't have a preference or you can't have something that you like. You're like, well, I love those trees. I, that's great. Like, I love that you love those trees. We got a lot more of them too. Like, you can enjoy those as well. When we cut the trees down here uh, to kind of expand this campus, we got Facebook messages about the trees getting cut down. Like, that's a true story. Um, and uh, even at this campus, uh, some of y'all may have been here, and very few, but the, the carpet was all green in here. And, uh, and this stage right here was like that um, oak, oaky wood uh, up here uh, on stage. And um, it just looked totally different in here. You, you wouldn't even uh, recognize it. And we did it like this for you. So you could be here, right? So you came and you felt comfortable and you wanted to be here. And what it was before was, was fine when it was when it was made. I'm sure back in the 70s or 80s. I don't know. Um, but when we redid it, we actually had a lady stand up in the service 
and was furious um, that we made these changes and did not like it. Uh, in fact, I, I hesitate to, to use this specific example, but I think it's awesome. She said it looked like an underwater nightclub in here. And um, <laughs> ever since then, we've just said that's our goal. When we have a campus, it needs to have the underwater nightclub vibe. Um, and so if, if that's the vibe, then we won. Um, and, and, and you know, like there are people that are so upset about the color of the carpet and yet have never talked to their neighbor about Jesus. There are people that are so upset about the trees getting cut down, but they have never, ever communicated the gospel to any other human being. Why are we not concerned about the things that matter and we're so concerned about things that don't matter? Paul expresses very clearly to us that every single person is in the same boat and we should find those common grounds to actually build those things with them. Warren Wiersbe said this, he said, every thinking person asks, where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? Science attempts to answer the first question, and philosophy wrestles with the second, but only the Christian faith has a satisfactory answer to all three. You and I are not perfect, and we are far from perfect, but we have the answer that the world is looking for in hope and freedom in Jesus Christ, in fulfilling that hole that's inside their heart, and yet we're, we're focused on things that don't matter. Um, Colossians 4, 2 through 6, Paul writes this to the church of, of Colossae. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer and be watchful in thanksgiving. But in verse 4, he says, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I love, he says, walk in wisdom with outsiders. When he's speaking about outsiders, He's talking about people who are not Christians with the world. We should walk with wisdom and graciousness seasoned with salt in the way that we speak. And yet, how do they view the church? They, they view the church oftentimes as people who are saying, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong. And yet he's saying what we should say is, God, I'm going to love them where they are, but love them too much to let them stay that way. I want to love them exactly how they are. That kind of leads us to our second thing here, is that people need the truth about God. Paul doesn't just say, hey, I found this common ground. I know the unknown God. He actually starts leading into who that God is. He starts saying, hey, now that I've got your attention, let me tell you, this is a God that is actually calling us to repentance. It's a God who's created the universe and everything in it. It's a God who cannot be contained in your idol or, or made from the imagination of man. It is not a person who lives in a temple. This God, the, the universe is his temple. He, he has created everything in it and, and and we are here to worship him. He immediately goes to truth. I think oftentimes we're good, some maybe even better sometimes at common ground, because we'll be like, well, I can talk about college football all day long, right? Um, or I can talk about America, you know? Like, and we find things uh, that we can find common ground with other people on, but people need the truth about who God is. People need the truth of the gospel. We have to realize we have to balance grace with truth. And what I mean by loving people where they are, but loving them too much to let them stay that way, is some people feel like that's a bait and switch. Uh, if you watch some of the documentaries on churches that are on uh, Hulu and other things, um, you'll hear people that'll say, yeah, this church told me that they accept me just how I am, but as soon as I get there, they want me to change. And it's a bait and switch. But, but that's not a bait and switch. That, that's the gospel. 
The gospel says every single one of us is broken and lost. Every single one of us brings nothing to the table. All, all of us are saying, I mean, I'm, I'm not good enough, smart enough. Uh, I'm not eloquent enough. Um, and yet, in spite of that, the gospel has transformed my life. He's made me somebody new. He's allowed me to live with this new life. And so in, in, in the gospel itself is saying to the world, Listen, whatever you believe, however you're dressing, however you're acting, there's a place here for you. We love you because we're in the same boat. But Jesus loves you too much to let you try to lean into your sin. Your sin will never be enough. Your sin will never help you enough. We, we have to be willing to say, God, offer me this forgiveness. Give me the strength to overcome this sin. So, so the gospel in and of itself says, everybody's welcome. Let me transform your heart and give you freedom. Let me transform your heart and fill that void that's inside of you. And this truth sometimes is oftentimes something that's difficult to truly share in love. I read this story preparing for today about a guy who was a, a Oxford rugby player, and he was a preacher, and he uh, gave, sent his uh, video of his sermon to another teammate. And uh, a third teammate happened to be there and watched the sermon uh, with his friend. And after it, he said, man, I am super mad at this guy. And he's like, why would you be mad at him? And he's like, because if this is what he believes, why has he not told me about it? The reality is we have inside of us the, the truth of God, the reality of the freedom that, that gospel offers. And, and we aren't like Paul willing to share this with the community around us. And let me just say it. I know that you've already thought it. We, we live in a world that is full of idols. We have so many idols. We have so many things that we have elevated. I know you're like, well, I don't have, I've been to like that donut shop that has the waving cat. Like maybe, maybe that's what he's talking about. No, I'm like, you, you, we have idols, people and, and money and control and power and politics, all these things that we have elevated above God in our culture that is already there that you and I need to say, hey, listen, all of that stuff is, it's not even secondary. It might even be third place compared to what God is doing in our lives, what God can do for us. We need to share the truth of the gospel with the world around us. Now, Paul even, like I said, quotes their, um, their, their poets by saying, for indeed we are all his offspring. He, he uses a, a contextual way to start sharing the gospel with him. And sometimes, with them, sometimes the truth is painful, right? The truth can be painful. Um, I, I, we've experienced some, some painful truths in our life. Uh, even even the past two weeks, um, I, I thought the kids had been putting their feet up on the wall, and it turns out that we have a dishwasher leak, like at my house, and so it was actually a brown water stain, not dirty shoes, up on the wall, and um, and so that that truth is painful, right? Because now like we have no uh, sheetrock on that area of our house, and we have fans going. Um, do you remember turning the fan on, babe? Sweet. So that's good. We got fans going. Um, <laughs> And we're having to, we got a new dishwasher. I mean, it's, it's an expense, but I could have said, I could have said, that's a harsh truth. I really don't have the money for that. And just turned an eye to it. Like, I don't want to deal with that. And, and, and what would have happened is it would have been a much bigger problem, but a much bigger issue. The truth can be painful, but we have to come face to face with it. And we as believers have to be willing to love others enough to share the truth with them. I would even go as far as to say that Truth can be the best way to love somebody is by sharing the truth with them. The last thing is that every man responds to God differently. At the end in verse 32, it says, when they heard of the resurrection from the dead, some mocked, but others said, we'll hear you again about this. To a Greek, 
Um, the body itself was like a prison. So to be resurrected in this body that, that uh, you know, they were trying to escape from was such a negative thing. Why, why would God want to resurrect uh, into this body? But it says that some mocked Paul after that. that. That when you share the gospel, when you share the truth, sometimes we walk into it feeling as if we have to come out of there with a conversion, Right? Like, that's, that's the goal. It's like, all right, I'm going to share this truth, and I'm going to save these five people. Like, and, and I've never saved a single person in my life. I couldn't even save myself. I'm not going to be able to save them. What we need to not focus on is the conversions. What we need to focus on is the conversations. We need to say, listen, God has given us the best news that we could ever offer to anybody. It's the best news that I've ever heard. How can I win an opportunity to share this with, with my neighbor? How can I win an opportunity to share this with my coworker? How can I win an opportunity to express to them the greatest love that I've ever received in my life? How can I find that way? And I think when we live in such a way that is motivated by love, it changes all that. Now, here's easily we could look at this and think, well, Paul was unsuccessful. These people mocked him. These, these people laughed at him. But it does tell us about a few people who decided to follow Jesus. It, it talks about Dionysius, uh, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris. Now, Dionysius was uh, essentially, or does become, the uh, bishop of Athens. He was a judge at the time, very well-known uh, thinker, smart, intelligent, uh, influential person, um, Damaris was a woman. That's all we know. That's all we know about her. Um, there, there are some uh, commentaries that make some guesses on who she was, but all we know is she's a woman. Um, now, now, culturally speaking, women weren't typically even allowed in the Areopagus. So, so what I think the beauty of this picture is saying to us is, the most influential person in the room decided to follow Jesus. And the person that nobody knows anything about decided to follow Jesus. And that's who the gospel is for. It's for everybody. You're like, Pat, I'm, I'm so far from God. I, man, if you even saw my heart or you even saw what I did in private when nobody was looking, you would know how wicked or evil I am. I'm saying, listen, the gospel is for you. You're like, well, man, if you just would have seen my neighbor, if you just would uh, see how they act and the way that they talk, the gospel is for your neighbor, the, the gospel is for every single person on this planet, no, no matter what they've walked through. And you and I should be motivated with such a love that we would, we would be willing, even in this service, to be leaders like, hey, at Harrison Bridge, let's be the leaders of people who love our community so well that they start asking us, why are you loving us so well? It just makes even that much easier to share truth with them because they have questions about it because we're loving them that much. Wouldn't that change how we interacted with people? Wouldn't that change how we even viewed our faith from a sense of duty or obligation or like, oh, I'm not called to be an evangelist to I'm simply living as a person who's in love with Jesus with every part of my being. And the gospel, I think, sometimes we think, well, the gospel is for, is for the lost person, but the gospel is for you and I today. And we need to preach it to ourselves every day because sometimes I wake up and I feel like, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I got this thing figured out. And I need to be reminded, man, it's what Jesus has done for me. I'm, I'm not better than, than anybody in this room. But I, I'm forgiven. And I want the world to experience that too. In, in the Athens that we live, which is the upstate of South Carolina, would God burden us with a passion to, to like 
Paul find common ground, maybe even in basic human nature, and, and express truth to the world around us? Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for uh, your goodness, how awesome you are, and even this morning how um, you have expressed to us an opportunity uh, that, that you have given us to impact the world for your name and for your kingdom's sake. And, and Father, we don't take that lightly. We know that it is a, a large task that you've called us to, but you've also even modeled it. Uh, and we thank you that, that Paul has given us that example today. And I, I pray, Father, that we would see people uh, in our daily lives, not for what divides us, but the things that unite us, um, that we would be able to lead them toward the gospel, uh, that not, not that we would use that as an excuse to engage in uh, uh, immoral behavior, but that you would allow us to, to simply look at the world around us and, and recognize that we are all broken and we are all in need of you. We are all searching for you. And even as Paul said, we're searching and yearning and you will reveal yourself. And so, Father, we pray, even as Romans 1 creation itself reveals yourself to the world around us, that you would allow us to be a part of that, that in the way that we live and the way that we love, you would allow other people to start seeing you in your hand. And God, would you give us the courage that sometimes feels awkward to speak that truth once we've built those relationships? God, I pray that you give us the courage and the wisdom in knowing how to share that, God, this church, that this upstate, that this campus would be different because of what you're doing in our lives, even here in this morning. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, for working in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.